Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 40. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Fooliman, we're in a great mood. We are in a terrific mood. I like how I say that as if we have, like, one shared mind, and, like, our <laughs> mood is kind of constant between us. One of these times, you're going to be wrong, and we'll actually have a different mood. However, in this case, you are again <laughs> correct. We are in a great so, mood. So, uh, Fooliman, tell me why we're in such a good mood. We are in a great mood. To a very lesser extent, because the Leafs won a kind of, eh, cr- let's be honest, crappy-ass game against the Minnesota They played really bad. It was or, not... or alternatively, Minnesota played well, but we don't like giving Minnesota credit. We won't, and we will not do that in the future. Uh, and Freddie Anderson really got us the two points there, but the real yeah, absolutely. thing is that at the almost literally last second, in defiance of gloom and fear and predictions... The Leafs have signed William Nylander to a six-year contract extension. Yep. Oh. So, they signed him to a six-year, $45 million deal. Nylander doesn't receive all of that $45 million because of the time he's missed. It ends up being pretty similar from his perspective, in terms of the cash he receives, to a six-year, $42 million deal. Mm-hmm. As for what that means for the Leafs' cap hit, this year there's an uh, accelerated cap hit of $10.3 million, which doesn't really matter that much to the Leafs given you know how much cap space they have every year thereafter it's about 6.96 million so for years two to six um the bonus structure is that Nylander has two million in bonuses this year 8.3 next year and a very very small base salary of just 700k and then every year thereafter he gets 3.5 million in bonuses 2.5 million in base salary so he gets a fair bit of lockout protection uh and you know, bonus money, and which is always nice, especially from a time value of money perspective. I think that's one thing people tend to overlook in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll get in this podcast, essentially, we're just going to get into all the implications of this particular deal. And let's start with the deal itself. How do you feel about it, Fulman? I feel excellent about this deal. It's hard for me to overstate it. Now, some of that is just relief. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is over. Like, if we'd signed this deal on September 1st, uh, I would have been like, yeah, good. But, the, you know, the fact that it looked very likely that we were going to lose a really excellent young player, uh, either by having him sit out or in a trade for pennies on the dollar, uh, I'm just happy that it got done. And just since this seems to be a talking point, I want to say right off the top, a lot of people are saying that, like, well, you would have been really, um, sorry, you would have been less, you know, over the moon about this deal three months ago. Doesn't that suggest that you're just overreacting? Well, no. The fact that this negotiation was so fraught and took so long to resolve suggests that it was probably harder than we thought. And it does make it more significant that a deal got signed because there were more difficulties than we foresaw because I thought this would get done way earlier. So, yeah, I I, I think it's legitimate to say that this was a tough negotiation. But in the end, we're adding a really excellent player and the Leafs are... I think unequivocally now the strongest team at center and right wing in the league by a lot. Um, You know, like Tampa Bay is competitive maybe, but really the Leafs are going to put together a really murderous forward core now, as we hoped when we signed John Tavares. Yeah, absolutely. So this deal is probably more expensive than we would have thought. And interestingly, um, Matt Cain, who has a, I guess, an algorithm or a model that predicts uh, salary cap hits of of free agents. Hit this one pretty much on the nose, Mm -hmm. right? And um, I guess that's not too surprising that a model is better at this than humans are. Mm -hmm. But 
it was definitely on the higher end of what most people thought was going to happen, right? Most people thought the Leafs would get him somewhere below, uh, you know, 6.5, not below 6.5, but around 6.5, maybe, you know, towards the higher end of the uh, 6.7 to 7 range. And th- that's what this deal has come in on, right? It's coming at the kind of the top end of people's expectations. Yeah. I should say, so, in fairness to myself, because I always want to be fair to myself, I said 6 by 6.8 really early on. That was always where I thought this would go. So I'm a little bit like this could have been done sooner, in my opinion. But obviously, yeah, this is higher than most people thought it would be. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess you can choose. You can see that as, as like, oh, the Leafs lost the negotiation. And I guess maybe to some extent they did. But this is why I always push back against the idea that Nylander didn't have any leverage. Mm-hmm. Nylander's leverage is that he's one of the 50 best people in the world at what he does. Yeah. And, and the Leafs are trying to contend right now. Yeah, like th- that was the leverage, and it doesn't—it didn't matter how many wins the Leafs racked up in November because they're not getting him for November. They're getting him for April and May when having one one other star player might make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, some people will say, "Well, Nylander's going to disappear in April and May." <laughs> we know that, right? But yeah, of course. I, um, <laughs> I think we've addressed that before, but that's silly. Yeah, it, it is. And I mean, I think I think people have underrated Nylander throughout this process, um, especially with the ridiculous start that Marner has had, mm-hmm. right? It, it's made kind of the Nylander-Marner debate, if there was one, uh, sort of silly to, to many people because Marner has just been completely incandescent. Um, and I mean, first off, so I'll say this, this is like a very tiny rant, but PPP gets a lot of crap from like random commenters who are like, mm-hmm. oh, you guys had Nylander and Marner tied in the top 2525. Yes, we did. That means half of us thought Marner was better and half of us thought Nylander was better. And most of us by a really tiny amount. Mm-hmm. So first off, I continue to think that is not an indefensible position even now. Yeah. Marner's on an absurd hot streak, like the type of hot streak that you don't see that often. He's, his on-ice shooting percentage is 13% yeah. at five on five. Right, every goaltender he plays is from the 1980s, essentially. <laughs> yeah, and at times yeah. it's felt like that's what he was actually doing to them in terms of his ability to set up John Tavares for tap-ins. But still, like, this is a lot. Now, if he were to sustain this, he'd finish with like what 110 points. But yeah, and 90 of them are primary assists. <laughs> Joe Thornton style, baby. Yeah. So I mean, look, Marner is a phenomenal player. Uh, I I rated Marner above Nylander. Uh, in the top 25, under 25, this hot start to the season has made me more sure that he is probably a better player than William Nylander is. Mm-hmm. I still don't think it's by the amount that the mainstream media and a lot of fans think it is. Yeah, and I should say, in fairness, I had Nylander 2 and I had Marner 3. I thought it was very close, but I really value Nylander's abilities in transition play. Marner has taken a step this year. It looks like even when I try and disentangle that from he's playing with John friggin' Tavares, which is worth mm-hmm. something... And I think, you know, I would definitely have Marner second now. I Like, I'm not fighting that. That's how things have developed, and he's a brilliant player. And he's unbelievable. He he's is really so good. good. And I really want to emphasize that because people seem to think that we, like, don't like him. And I'm like, why would I not like one of the best players I've had the privilege of watching in this yeah. uniform? It's like, he's amazing. He is really, really good. It's so fun to watch him play. Yeah. And watching him run a power play is honestly, like, a treat. When, he's we, a savant he's so good at it and there are so many weapons that we can put in front of him and he just like 
it's like watching him conduct a symphony or something because he's like he knows when to go back to Riley at the point. He knows when to go cross him to Matthews. He knows when to hit Tavares or Kadri. Like it's so good. Um, so I want. He be... so rarely makes a bad decision. No, it's like tons of good passes and his ability to kind of whirl away from contact, where it's like. At first, I used to worry. I was like, "Whoa, Mitchie, you're playing it close there. You're running out of space." And then I was like, "No, he's not." Mitch Marner knows exactly how much space he needs, which is less than ordinary NHLers. Um, so yeah, like he's incredible. I do think people have forgotten a little bit how good William Nylander is. And the fact that Nylander hasn't been playing has also kind of robbed us for the of the opportunity to see whether he's taken a step forward. I'm not saying he necessarily will have one to the extent that Mitch Marner has. Because, again, Marner is really establishing himself as, like, top of the tops. Mm -hmm. But Nylander's a really good player. Really, really good player. And there's been some chatter about him being like, oh, you don't pay 6 or $7 million to your seventh best player. And that's been... I think that that is a very silly way to look at this contract. It, it is. Yeah. It's really dumb. Okay, so there's a couple reasons why it's dumb. First off, you can pay that money to a to your seventh best player if you're like let's take it to a logical extreme. Let's say you have you're you you have a time machine and you have I don't know Crosby, McDavid, Kucherov, like name the top ten players in the league or not top five players in the league, and all of them are on entry level deals. Okay, yeah, I can pay my seventh best player whatever I want then because my top five or make your top six are making nothing. So clearly, it, it's wrong just from that from a logical point of view, right? Yeah. Now, that's an extreme example. But in the Leafs' case, Anderson, Riley, and Kadri are all on long-term deals making below market value. So yeah, the, even if they wanted to overpay Needender, or sorry, they could overpay Needender if they wanted to. They can actually afford it because they're saving money elsewhere. Yeah. The other reason it's stupid is because Needender is not our seventh best player. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, he's just not. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's higher than that. And I, I mean, it becomes a question of the players that I think we would agree are better are Matthews, Tavares, and now Marner. Yeah, uh, those are kind of the unequivocal ones. And here, we're, we're also taking better to mean like in a team agnostic context and not in terms of importance to the team. Because if you're going in terms of importance to the team, then by an order of magnitude, Freddie Anderson is so much more important than everyone else yeah if it's a question of whose injury could you survive it's like if freddie anderson goes down the house is on fire we're screwed yeah like, yeah no we're, we're absolutely screwed yeah. and the thing is that that's this is why this is a stupid way to phrase it is because literally every good starting goalie would be first on their team yeah like that's just the reality in terms of the value you get from having a really above average starter and it does seem like a weird way to phrase it because as you were talking about just saying as if it's like a rule of the universe that like, Oh, you can't play your ex best player, this amount of money, you know, you just can't. It's like, well, the game is not, you know, to win some sort of salary cap award or win on cost per point, like Eugene Melnick, it's to win the cup. And so it's entirely possible for the right decision to be to pay certain players even more than maybe you think that they're worth, if that gives you the best team right now. I'm not saying that that's what's even happening with William Nylander. I think this is a good deal. I think that he's going to uh, 
performed very well on it to the point where we're pretty satisfied with it again because he's really good and he's 22 you know we're not paying for his decline uh so all of that together makes me think like this is exactly what i want a team going for it to do they grind it out in negotiation for sure to like again literally the last five minutes like the deal was filed with nhl central at 4 55 p.m when the deadline was five o'clock but at the same time i am glad that there was no cutting off the nose to spite your face thing on the part of kyle dubas like he didn't say sure go screw sit for a year because we want to get you at 6.7 instead of 6.9 mm-hmm. he said okay i'm going to try and hold a line here he kept it under seven he got a six-year term deal that again, I think Nylander has a great potential to outperform. And that's what's best for the team. So, yeah, when Brian Burke says something like, you can't pay your seventh best player like this, well, lay it out. Show me why you can't. Show me why this is a mistake. Because I look at it and I see a really good decision. Yeah. And um, there was a report from Sweden. And actually, we should say that that a writer from Sweden broke the news before any North American, yeah, uh, North any North American source, um, but Nylander basically had an interview where he was more or less accosted at the airport, from what I could tell, <laughs> <laughs> um, with his family, uh, and in that it, it was stated that Dubis came back with like an increased offer of about 120k per year, mm-hmm. pretty late in the process, like an an hour, an hour and a half before the deadline, yeah. Right and look, maybe Nylander's camp would have blinked, and would have taken the deal that was on the table before then. But I'm glad, I'm glad we didn't take that risk. Right, like it, it just isn't worth it. The the potential savings of 120k on the cap, to even the one percent chance that Nylander was going to call that bluff. Exactly. Like, and you were talking about this. Look, Kyle Dubas' job is not to win negotiations. Winning negotiations is a means to an end. It's not the end itself. The end is the Stanley Cup. And the chance of like, oh, we're, you know, maybe we'll screw him out of a hundred grand here or there, or, you know, we'll stop short there. That's not the point. The point is assemble the best team you can. And saving cap hit does do that. But this wasn't like a drastic overpay and the Leafs clearly held their line pretty solidly. Like, they yeah. didn't go into the sevens, even though that's where the Nylander camp wanted the negotiation to go for the longest time. For those thinking that Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews are going to do this and the Leafs kind of, like, capitulated and showed weakness, um, I don't really think that's the case. I don't think this process has been fun for Nylander, and he even said as much, right? Yeah, in, no, he was, like, finally the able to sleep. Yeah. It, it, it's not fun for these guys to miss that much time, and... Frankly, like, I don't think the Leafs capitulated so much as they recognize the fact that Nylander has leverage. And yeah. Matthews and Marner, if they are so inclined, have the same leverage and more because they're better players, right? Yeah. We're, yeah, like, we're not contenders. We're not as good as we can be without them. And and actually, I think people were saying that, oh, you can't capitulate on Nylander. You can let him sit out because you can't. you have to show that you're not going to be pushed around. If we let Nylander sit out, there's no way in hell we're going to do the same thing with Marner because then we're even more screwed. We don't even have the best, the closest thing we have to a replacement. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, right? I think, that, that gives Marner more leverage, not less. I, I think if you chart the course of these negotiations, 
And this is going to be speculative because all we have were Leafs, but the Leafs started very low sixes. Nylander started eight and a half. I mean, one of you just split the difference, the Leafs ended up closer, but the Nylander ask was originally high, if you believe it. Okay. But, like, I think the fact that the Leafs, you know, said, okay, we'll put that last hundred grand on the table to go over. Is that worth, you know, like the, uh, the two months and sort of the stretch and stuff like that? I don't think that says that, like, you can wear these guys down and they'll give in. They're saying that, you know, if you want to go absolutely to the nth degree, you might get a small benefit out of it, but you're not going to like push them around to get everything that you want. Like if, you know, if Dubas has said, okay, I'm sorry, and here's $7.5 million, then you could say, yeah, he really caved. But this, this looks to me like a pretty accurate recognition of the dynamics at play. And I do think that there's a lot of like, for lack of a better phrase, kind of like masculine dick waving. When yeah. You look at these negotiations where it's just sort of like, you have to prove to him that you can't push you around. It's like, this is a contract, man. It's a business. The question is, can you build a winning team behaving like this? And I think unequivocally the answer is yes, in my opinion. This is another thing that I mentioned uh, on Twitter last night, like in the, in the wake of the signing, is that I think Nylander had the setup and some advantages going his way that let him sit out in a sense, or that made it easier for him to sit out. The fact that he's not from Toronto, that Mm -hmm. he could retreat to Sweden, that he has a life, a support system, family and friends outside of Toronto who aren't fans of the Leafs, aren't going to ask him about the Leafs every day. He could live a relatively normal life in Sweden. Yeah. Mitch Marner, who, as far as I know, lives in Toronto like all year round, Mm -hmm. right? Because he's originally from here, is not going to have that luxury. Yeah. Right. Mitch Marner walks to Whole Foods to get, you know, a bagel and he's going to get asked about it. Yeah. I I mean, trying to conduct a a negotiation like that, I think you would almost have to like go into exile. Yeah. Like you just, you couldn't do it. Absolutely. Yeah. It'd be very hard, especially with the media always talking about it. And I think the media would be easier on Marner than they would, than they were on Nylander for a variety of reasons. Absolutely. But it's still not going to be pleasant, right? You're still going to hear a lot of talk about it it's still not going to be a fun time. And I think being able to separate yourself from that situation was very helpful and probably eased Nylander's mind a little bit and made it easier to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Marner is not necessarily going to have that benefit. Yeah. So I don't anticipate the same move being made by Marner. And I I think the Leafs are also probably going to um, move their starting position a little bit where, you know, Dubas said in in his presser, that you know, we don't we look. We don't want this to happen again. This is not ideal. No. Um, we want everything to be set up from the start, and I think they're going to probably respect this option more and come in with a better initial offer and a more realistic initial offer. Because let's be real, the Leafs' initial offer of a Nick Eaters contract is kind of insulting. It, well, not because Nick Eaters is a far worse player than William Nenad, but because. The Nick Eaters contract is as much of an outlier on the low end as the Leon Draisaitl is an outlier on the high end. Yeah, and, and, you know, we got all this uh, chatter, and I'm thinking specifically of our side, but we you had some people who were just emphatic about the Eaters contract being dispositive, to use the legal term. Like, that was all you had to say, and then the issue was over. And it's like, you know, if you, you open the discussion, you're just sort of like, hey, Nick Eaters, 
And then Lewis Gross says, hey, Leon Dreisaitl. You know what I mean? It's like, it's really not that simple. And one of the takeaways that it would be nice if people had from this process, although I'm not that optimistic, would be something like, negotiating is hard. It's not just like a matter of you throw a number at them and then, you know, you tap the baseball bat in your palm and stare at them menacingly until they take it. Like, William Nylander had one piece of leverage, which was to sit out, and he played it absolutely as far as he could. I don't begrudge him for that because that's business. But, like, I, I think it was underestimated just how much of a weapon that could be if someone was really willing to go to the nth degree of it, which is what he did. And, and so it's not like there was that much that was that complicated in terms of the strategy. It was just, we really want to hold out for the best offer. And that's what he did. And the best offer is something the Leafs can nonetheless live with. So Yeah. yeah. The other thing that people, um, and again, I don't expect to see this, but there was a lot of talk about how Lewis Gross was incompetent, how William Leander was getting bad advice, that he's screwing his <laughs> career over. Guess and what? <laughs> nope. He seems to have gotten a pretty good deal. Maybe, maybe this agent knows what he's doing, right? Like, it, it worked out for them. If Lewis Gross didn't just really burnish his reputation in the player-agent community, I will be stunned, okay? Because he got what his client wanted. He got probably the best possible deal. He didn't blink. He didn't mismanage it. Now, it could have gone south on him. If this had ended with a, you know, a full year sit-out on the part yeah, of the Yeah, then absolutely. Like, it. I mean, if, if I'm Lewis Gross, like what I'm telling Nidander at 3.30 uh, Eastern is, look, we're going to try and get the best deal, but we're taking whatever deal is on the table at 4.55. Yeah, which is right? basically what happened. Yeah. I, I mean, they went to uh, 4.30 apparently, Eastern time. And they Nylander put in a call and said, okay, let's make a deal. And they did. Uh, and I think that, you know, from the perspective of a player, I've, I want someone who's willing to go to the wall for me. Or more importantly, I want someone who is perceived as being willing to go to the wall for me. Like, even just mm -hmm. retaining Lewis Gross as your agent suggests, like, look, I'm serious. You know? Like, I'm not here to screw around. So I hate to say it for all the people who wanted to cast him as the villain of the piece. And you can. You can say, like, I still didn't like this process. It wasn't a lot of fun for me. No, it wasn't. But, it, you know, he did his job really well. <laughs> yeah, and I think ultimately all parties did their job pretty well. Like, I don't think Dubis mm. lost face in this negotiation at all. I think uh, he, Gross, and Nidander pretty much all acted in their best interests, despite it being not very fun from a fan's perspective. One thing I actually wanted to mention before, I guess we, we move on a bit to, I guess, the team implications, mm -hmm. is that um, I was looking at some like, comparables for William Nidander today, mm -hmm. and it's very striking how similar his age 20 to 22 stats are to another Swedish pass-first playmaker who's who was on the line with a goal-scoring phenom in Nick Backstrom. A goal-scoring phenom born on September 17th, if you really want to align Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> it's like uh, it's like in FIFA or Football Manager, right? When a, a really strong player retires, there's immediately like a regenerated version of them from the same country. <laughs> Nylander is the Backstrom regen. Yeah, there we go. Right? Um, And look, his numbers aren't quite as good as Backstrom's. They're like a small tick below in most categories like for for example um i actually posted i actually showed fulman this in our slack chat beforehand 
but from ages 20 to 22, uh, Backstrom had 2.26 points per 60 at 5-on-5. William Nylander had 2. Backstrom had 1.59 primary points per 60. Nylander had 1.49. Those are pretty small differences. Like, that's a difference of a couple points over the course of a season, really. Yeah. Um, They're relative to teammate Corsi 4's percentages were both in, like, the 3's. Backstrom had a higher on-ice shooting percentage and a higher personal shooting percentage, I believe. And that's, like... That's the big thing with Nylander right now is that uh, his shooting percentage, his individual uh, shooting percentage, particularly when you look at it as a percentage of goals over all shot attempts as opposed to just shots on net, mm-hmm. is has been low. It's been lower than you would expect, right? Most high-end, top-six, top-line players are able to outperform expected goals. Nylander has been below expected goals in both of his first two years. Yeah, and it's interesting to think why that might be. The perception right, I get is that when he gets the puck, he takes an extra beat to line up a laser of a shot because he can shoot it. But that gives the goalie more time to get in front of it or a player more time to block it, is my yeah. guess. But And a lot of Nylander's ceiling will ultimately depend on how, like whether he is a bad shooter or a good shooter who has had a couple mediocre years. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, that's a huge part of where he ultimately ends up. Now, even if he is just a, you know, a goals equals expected goals type of player, his passing, his zone entries, his ability to create shots for himself and his teammates, which I think is the most valuable offensive skill in hockey, they're still essentially elite, right? Um, his, his numbers over the course of these last couple of years have been very strongly positive. Like he, he's a top line scorer who has pretty notable impacts on shot, uh, on shot share, somewhat less notable impact on expected goals. Although again, this is another thing that it, it might be a function of the data we have where, because Nylander has historically had a, pr- a higher than average uh, proportion of his shots being blocked those mm-hmm. shots are not included in expected goals because we don't have shot locations for them. So it might just be a function of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, you can very easily make an argument that Nylander is 90% of the player that Nick Backstrom is, or was at the same age. And if they progress the same way, then you're getting a borderline Hall of Famer over the course of this deal. Yeah. And, and so I, like, I know that that's like the optimistic scenario. Yes. But at the same time, it's like, that's not out of the realm of contemplation. And if we're getting that through, you know, age 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, seasons at 7 million cap hit, that's really good. Like, there's a scenario where this turns into an extremely high-value deal, uh, which I think is kind of something that people forget. There's one other thing that I wanted to note just in terms of the overall perspective on how this is run. Uh, I haven't uh, done myself the injury of actually reading it, but Steve Simmons has apparently gone off again about how, you know, if Lou Lamorello were running, this team would be, you know, better financially. And, you know, without him, Dubas would have sold the, the store away and all this sort of stuff. And without dwelling on however that particular argument is constructed, I do want to take a moment to look at RFA contracts that Lou signed. Versus what Dubas has just done. So Lou signed Nazem Kadri for uh, five years at four and a half. And Morgan Riley for five years at five. 
those are both really, really good value deals. Uh, the Nasim Kadri deal, I think especially, is one of the best deals in existence that isn't an ELC. Like, it's really, really good work. But part of the reason that it was so easy for Lou to get that kind of leverage was the Leafs were in the toilet. They were coming off a, a year where they were finishing last. Um, Nazem Kadri particularly had a terrible shooting percentage. Morgan Riley had not yet evolved into the offensive destroyer of worlds that we now know him as. And so the result was that the leverage of, you know, I can do X, X, and Y and hold out the way that Nylander has it. Well, part of his leverage is that the Leafs need to be good now because they want to contend right now. When Lou signed Riley and Kadri, that pressure didn't exist. The team was bad. It was anticipated that they wouldn't be good for a while, although they recovered much quicker than I think most people anticipated. But the result was that if, you know, say Nazem Kadri had said, hey, I'm going to sit out for a year, the Leafs could quite reasonably have said, good, we don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, like the pressure was not there in the same way. Uh, that it is with Nylander. So I think comparing those RFA negotiations and then saying, hey, Dubas was suckered, well, I don't think that the leverage was in any way comparable. So I, I just want to distinguish those two things. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just wanted to... Uh, one thing I forgot to mention with the with the Backstrom comparison. The reason I bring up Backstrom as a comparison is because stylistically, the guy, the two of them are, are very similar. He he does kind of represent a an upper bound on what Nylander can be. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Nick Backstrom's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Like, if you get Nick Backstrom for $7 million, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to take that. I'm going to be pretty yeah. happy with that. And, and, I mean, I I don't know. I, I, I'm perhaps biased towards Neander because he, he's one of my favorite Leafs, maybe my favorite Leaf to watch, period. Mm. But I struggle to see a world in which he doesn't evolve into someone who scores at first line rates at even strength, who has consistently positive shot share impacts and a strong penalty differentials and is strong on the power play. Like, I, I think he will ultimately be a well-above-average first-niner. That's, yeah. like, the median. That's my expectation for him, both in terms of point scoring, in terms of driving play, in terms of transition, in terms of setting team players up. I think he's going to be well-above-average and among the league's best at all of them. Yeah, and the Leafs can quite reasonably claim that they're going to have the best forward group in the NHL for the next four years, at least. Like, that's... I think what we have in contemplation now, it's not uncontested. There are a lot of good other teams, but it's like he really was like the last elite piece and adding him goes a very long way. So, yeah, uh, I just I, I got to tell you, I like I'm euphoric that we just have don't have to like wonder about this anymore and that we're going to get to see him play. But also, I really think that this was like a, a good bit of business from Kyle Dubas. Yeah, I I think I think it's a good deal. I mean, it's always difficult to kind of spout off numbers on a podcast because it you know it's hard for a listener's perspective to like really get a sense of them because they go by so quickly. But by every metric, William Nylander is very good at the things that matter. Mm-hmm. Right, he's a good hockey um, player. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how like, that's been forgotten. It, yeah, but, I mean, you know. really, like from a stats perspective, the only thing that is kind of lacking with him is the the goals above expectation and his impact on expected goals is has not been tremendously high with the caveats that we mentioned before also you know he he spent a lot of time with uh that that Kadri Komarov 
Neat Ender unit pretty much sewered his numbers from that perspective. I think his other units were, were relatively stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so that, that aside, um, let's move on to how this is going to impact the rest of the team. Yes. So there are a couple of angles. One is the immediate impact of we're going to add a forward, and so a forward has to come out. And then another one is the longer-term contract impact of, okay, what do we do going forward? So I guess we can take those in order. The first one is, it's kind of a shame that a winger has to come out right now because the truth is, we've had several wingers who have done a pretty good job, uh, in my opinion. Uh, The guys at the bottom of the lineup right now are Tyler Ennis, Josh Levo, and Connor Brown. Andreas Janssen is also kind of in and out there, but one, he's the left wing. So that's our thinner side, and Nylander's a right wing. And two, he's come on a bit lately, so I don't think he's really in much danger. It's probably going to be one of Levo, Brown, or Ennis who has to come out. And realistically, one of Levo or Ennis. Yes. And, and reali- more realistically, Josh Levo. <laughs> so basically, that's what it comes down to. When I asked this uh, on Twitter the other day, I said can you really take out Tyler Ennis? Because Tyler Ennis, I think, has been really impressive. I think he's really shown his skill lately. He has. And, and it, it, it hasn't just been lately. It's been over the course of the entire season, I think. He, he's he been generating shots at a really, really impressive rate, generating chances at a really, really impressive rate, especially when you consider his line mates. Yeah. Um, you know, for a fourth-line player, and, yeah, he, he's really been heating up lately. But, you know, if he puts up something like 30 points or whatever in a fourth-line role, um, which is entirely in the realm of possibility for him right now, that's really good. That's really good depth scoring. To get from a guy playing that deep in your lineup, uh, that's outstanding. Um, so that combined with kind of his gumption, like he's really been working and he's made some creative plays, I just don't see how you can shuffle him out. I feel for Josh Levo, who again, God bless him, he's finally been getting into the lineup uh, on a consistent basis, and I think that's about to end. And he's had some nice chemistry with Ennis, you know, because he can finish a little bit. Um, but I think it is going to be Levo. I think you could make a real case that Connor Brown should come out. Um, a lot of people suggested to me on Twitter that it should be him. That he's kind of not doing all that much, but he's he's a workmanlike player. He does his job. I also think Brown has been pretty good this year, to be honest. And yeah. I say this as someone who has criticized him greatly before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's been totally fine. I, I mean, if you, if I say Ennis has been a bit better because, as I said, I the one thing I really value among forwards is the ability to create shots, and Brown mm-hmm. certainly doesn't do that. But he he's competent at everything else. Yeah, he is, and. You know, I, I did say a couple podcasts ago, I don't think the Leafs are going to unload Connor Brown. I should say, I don't mean to be absolutist about that, because certainly you, if you're looking for places to trim salary, replacing Brown with someone who makes half as much would be one way to save a million dollars. But he does bring something. He brings a level of competence to his job. Uh, that is probably something that Mike Babcock really appreciates. And so he's probably not coming out. So my guess is... Yeah, William Nylander is going to come back. Somebody is going to move uh, right to left, probably. I'm going to guess it's Ennis. And Josh Levo probably sits out for the time being. The best thing that you can say for Josh Levo is that I think he's been genuinely 
impressive in an all-round way more than he was in previous showings. I know a lot of people like to quote his P60 and all that sort of stuff because he got a couple of hot streaks in the past, but he's looked more like a complete player to me than he has previously. So when someone inevitably does get injured or whatever, I think Josh Levo is going to make his way back in. Yeah, and I think, I agree. I think Levo has been quite good to start the year. It's sort of unfortunate for him that he is probably the odd man out. It's really just a function of the Leafs' incredible depth. Yeah. I think, I mean, on Edmonton, he might be their second best left winger. Yeah, you know, I was saying last year, I think if Levo went somewhere where he got opportunities and first unit power play time and stuff, he could easily score 20 goals. And I've only been more convinced by that, by uh, his play this year. So you, you do kind of think like, geez, next summer, does he go? You know, he's still an RFA with arbitration rights, but maybe that's finally the end and he finally gets his opportunity to play full time. But yeah, so I, I think we're, we're agreed on that. Probably Ennis flips to the, the left side of the fourth line and then Connor Brown moves down. Mm-hmm. Um, longer term is kind of the interesting question. So the Leafs, we've sort of been thinking around this problem for a while now. And the biggest change in the calculations isn't actually Nylander's contract. Like when I was kind of workshopping this, I tried to leave a lot of room. So I gave Nylander $7 million in theory uh, last spring when I was trying to work out if we could afford John Tavares actually. And so the fact that he's not making that doesn't change that much. The problem is that Mitch Marner is now going to make more than I anticipated. Yeah. So that's actually where the squeeze is going to come because I had him at about 7, 7.5. And I mean, I don't know exactly where he's going to finish the year, but probably at, at least right side money like probably yeah. eight and a half at least right it, like i i don't agree with the mainstream media people who are like oh yeah mitch martin's gonna make 10 million dollars on a five-year deal yeah it's, that's it's like okay bananas. come on get out of here with that but um he's i mean he's going to have a very impressive platform year to stand on and mm-hmm. he's going to deserve that money yeah so it, I, i'm never going to begrudge playing paying a guy like mitch marner what it's worth what he's worth yeah. or what he feels he can get because i mean players like mitch marner don't grow on trees and no, he's, he's he's you know <laughs> if we have to trade you know lower end guys because of mitch marner i'm fine with that i really am yeah no he's the kind of guy that you really strain yourself to keep matthews it's weird because matthews is like generally understood to be making more than mitch marner i think we agree with that and only yes. like crazy people or mitch marner's dad would say that matthews should make less but we're just like banking him in as like he's going to make twelve million dollars a year, right? Like, like there's there's just, there's less know. room for negotiation with Matthews. He's a franchise player, and like the only thing you can say is, well, he's not as good as McDavid, so he shouldn't make as much as McDavid. And then beyond that, it's kind of hard to say much other than you know, like he's been unfortunately a bit injury prone. He's in the last averaged a years, goal per game but... this year. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> like this is insane. The other thing is we have just given him back William Nylander. Yeah. Suspect. So the old, like the knock on him was that, you know, like five on five, the numbers weren't that great other than, you know, he's just scoring all of the goals. Um, but I think that's going to get better. And while he's not going to shoot like a billion percent on the power play forever, I'm kind of hesitant to set an upper bound on what he actually can do on that power play unit because... I think they're sort of in their own class 
You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to be this hot forever. Like, I assume he's not going to score 65 goals in 65 games or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think he's going to do fine. So, yeah, I, I don't really see a way where he doesn't get kind of whatever he wants. Like, if he asks for the 13, maybe the Leafs work him down a bit. But really, my expectation is 12 million. So Yeah, so, like something like that. It, it's there's not like i said there's very there's very little room to actually argue with with matthews because he's so obviously brilliant you don't fuck um, around with your franchise player yeah exactly that's, you just, that's you, it's it. pretty much like <laughs> look we're gonna give you a blank check more or less but please try and take a little less <laughs> yeah can you spare like a couple hundred grand yeah so you know so that we can pay guess very capital or something yeah and yeah. um so actually let's let's talk about captain so as mm-hmm. you said you were kind of workshopping next year's roster and basically i mean we kind of knew this before unless jake gardner is going to take a very very steep discount mm-hmm. he's most likely gone yeah i tried to do kind of i i wanted to go in the direction of like expensive scenarios so that like i wasn't lowballing either of the top two stars so i kind of baked yeah. in matthews at 12 and then i gave marner 10 which i think is like the absolute high end um, yeah, I mean, when I, you think about the fact that Nikita Kucherov got 9.5 for an entirely UFA year contract, yeah. right? And as good as Mitch Marner is, Nikita Kucherov is better. It is. Although I think, yeah, the, the point is the same. I want to say Kucherov, if he had gone to market, could have gotten more. Yes. And then you say, well, Mitch Marner isn't going to go to market per se. He's going to go to the RFA market, which is, you know, different. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean... Uh, for a variety of reasons, offer sheets are not going to be a thing, but they're actually not going to be a thing for Mitch Marner because he's certainly going to live in the four first-rounders class. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, if an offer sheet were going to happen, wouldn't you think it would have happened in the Nylander negotiation? Yeah. <laughs> now, now, granted, he said top to bottom, basically, he wasn't interested. Like, he, he wanted to play with the Leaves uh, in the end. But, you know, if he wanted to force somebody's hand or something like that, that would have been an easy way to do it. So... Yeah, anyway, but I don't anticipate our offer sheets as being like a thing that we really need to think about. Despite what some people will tell you, it's like, oh, teams are going to offer sheet Matthews and uh, and Marner for like 13 and 12. One, no, they won't. Two, the Leafs can match. The Leafs can match 13 and 12. The Leafs can match 14 and 12. It doesn't matter. Like, I, I'm curious as to what the upper limit would be where they would stop matching on Matthews. That's kind of like a funny question. It's not going to happen, and we're never going to find out. So, uh, yeah, I'm not so concerned about that. But when you try and bake it in, and then you say, okay, Matthews at 12, Marner at 10-ish, 9 maybe, whatever. And then you put Kasperi Kapanen at around 3.5. And and I'm counting on Kapanen slowing down a little bit. Because if he gets, you know, 50 points, maybe that becomes tighter but i think you can kind of squeeze that Mm -hmm. then you kind of get to a level where it's like okay you have everyone that you have which is Tavares, nylander marlo unfortunately kadri hyman brown uh and then you know matthews marner and kapanen and then everyone else on the forwards has to be basically on an elc so andreas johnson if he's earned a raise or goes to arb or whatever he's probably gone um, and then on defense, you basically have to let Jake Gardner go 
or you have to trade Nikita Zaitsev. And I think a lot of people from the kind of statsier side of Twitter would like to trade Nikita Zaitsev to keep Jake Gardner. I don't know if the Leafs would do that. Uh, I think that's something to think about. Again, I'm really not sure what the market is for Nikita Zaitsev services at this point. And I don't know if the Leafs are sort of thinking something like, look, Jakey is getting up there. We don't want to necessarily pay what he would cost. And I don't know what Jakey would take to stay. So all of that is kind of up in the air. I think the natural assumption is, yeah, we're going to lose Jake Gardner. Yeah. And it, it becomes very hard at that point to construct a lease defense next year that is uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying and, to think so, of a better and, word for it, but that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Like this is uh, is where the crunch comes. And I'm sorry to say this, but it's entirely a function of the third year of the Marlowe deal, uh, which I know that, like, I keep saying this, but just it's because I'm annoyed because there was so much shit about it. I like Marlowe. He's a good player. He's added a lot. His intangibles, I'm sure, are good. And I don't think that they're worthless by any means. But the fact remains, any way you slice it, the Leafs probably are going to run a pretty weak defense next season. And... If they didn't have Marlowe, they could quite easily at least extend Jake Gardner, um, which is too bad. But the result is that you probably end up with something like Morgan Riley running one pair, Travis Dermott running the second pair, and then it's just what warm bodies can we get? You know, is Rasmus Sandin ready to hold down the third pair job? I doubt it, but we is might Timothy find Lilligren, out. maybe? I don't know. Yeah, and so it's like, we're just going to cobble it together. And so you're looking at names like Calliot Rosen, uh, Martin Marincin, who obviously is going to be our first pair right defenseman, and um, and Justin Hall, who is making six hundred seventy-five grand next year. So there is that. You know, you're running a lot of guys who are probably not at all top four defensemen in your top four, and mm-hmm. you're counting on outscoring your problems. So I, I think the fact is, is that next year the Leafs have some prospect of being weaker than this year, unless Kyle Dubas pulls a rabbit out of a hat. Um, which, you know, is sort of just something that I say, okay, you have to live with that. You know, the previous regime decided to sign Patrick Marlowe for a lot of reasons and they did it. And now we have to move forward with it because he has a no move clause and we can't really dispose of his cap it. So yeah. Um, that's a little bit of a downer uh, from all the optimism, but I still think that this is a good team simply because the forwards will be so good. And it's possible to find some bargains on defense, I'm hoping. Like Tyler Ennis is the quintessential bargain at forward. We're getting, I would say, certainly more than 650 grand of value out of him. So a decent depth find just to make that defense kind of closer to playable would help a lot next year. Again, I want to emphasize, I don't think that William Nylander is really driving the issue here. You can say, well, we should have traded him, but uh, I mean, we discussed that enough. I don't think the trade market was going to get us anything that we would really want Mm -hmm. uh, at that level. And so it it is just a function of we're so blessed with forward talent that we are going to be weak on defense. So, so be it. (laughs) Yeah. Worst, worst problems to have. Yeah, exactly. Too many good players on one side, of, one side of the ledger. So, yeah. 
I guess, um, do you want to discuss what we think Kapanen will get? Because I think he's probably the biggest, he's the second yeah. biggest free agent on the Leafs. After, or, or, sorry, aside from the guys we've already discussed. Yeah, and so Kasperi Kapanen has impressed everyone, I think, this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about that last podcast. You know, he's fast, he's useful in a variety of roles. We'd really like to keep him, and he's a restricted free agent without arbitration rights. So I think that we have a decent chance of doing that. But the fact remains that he's in line for a raise. I mean, right now he's on pace for like 50 plus points, Mm -hmm. which tends to cost you money. He might cool down a bit depending on how we use him the rest of the way. But certainly three and a half million for him on basically any kind of term would be a good deal. Like if we sign him for three and a half at one year, I'm happy with that. Um, if if we get him for more than one year, I'm over the moon about it. But he, he can quite reasonably ask for more. And he does seem to me like the guy who's kind of right on the edge of uh, what we might be able to keep because we are so strong at right wing. I mean, certainly, if it comes down to you have to deal Connor Brown, for example, to add another million to Kasperi Kapanen's AAV, I'd do that in a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, you... you... He looks like he can be a, a difference maker. We said in our last podcast that we think he he is you know one of the ninety best forwards in the in the league right now, and yep. maybe that's jumping the gun a bit on him. But like, I mean, that was the bull takes podcast, so I think it was fitting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he's he's been good. He keeps generating shots. He keeps generating chances, and yeah. I don't think that's an accident. I mean, I I feel like I have like one or two points that I always harp on in each podcast, and today apparently it's creating your own shot. <laughs> Uh, but that captain can do that. He can do that at yeah. a really, really high rate. And, you know, that's not that's not nothing. Not at all. And I, I would be kind of interested to see him on the left wing, to be honest. Uh, because given the state of our lineup, we have more strength on the right side than the left. And we could really use him to be able to shift over. But, but anyway, you slice it. He's... Um, He's a really useful guy to have in your top nine. And we might still have a chance of holding on to him because he's an RFA. Mm-hmm. And so having, you know, talent at value wherever you can get it is something that I want to prioritize. That yeah. said, you know, may- maybe if there's a defenseman to be had somewhere uh, in a trade, you look at trading Kapanen. But I mean, what we really want at this point is a top bearing right defenseman. And I don't know where that's going to come from. So, yeah, I, I certainly hope we could keep him. It's tough to predict where he's going to go because his track record has been so limited before this year. Like, he had nine points last season, as we talked about. And now he's clearly zooming way past that. Mm-hmm. So, I guess we're going to find out exactly how high this can go. But uh, that is, like, a real variable that's still up in the air. Uh, in a way that, you know, even Matthews and to some extent, Marner aren't quite as much because, like, they're clearly going to make high-value deals of a certain kind. You know, if Kapanen cools off considerably, then he probably gets more affordable for us. Right. Yeah, so... There's more than one way to slice that. It it really is up in the air. I I like $3.5 as, like, a starting point just because I think that that's not unreasonable. But he could blow by that and make me look silly if he gets enough points, for sure. I mean, I I guess the thing that helps, at least, is that his other years were so, um, like, unimpressive in terms of r- raw point totals mm-hmm. that 
he won't have a track record beyond this season, no matter what happens, right? I don't see him getting 60 points, especially once he gets, he's probably being taken off Matthews' wing uh, as soon as Dean Ander comes back. I I would like to see, as you alluded to, Kapanen, Matthews, Nylander, but I don't think we're going to. Probably not. It looks more likely that we're going to see Marlowe, Matthews, Nylander, and then I don't. there's no way that we're going to break up Hyman, Tavares, Marner at this point. Right. They've so, been so good together. You, you can't really break them up. Yeah. So that kind of leaves you with, you know, Janssen, Kadri, and Kapanen, which is an opportunity to, uh, to certainly do some damage, but he's not going to light the world on fire the way he's been doing probably so there was actually an interesting comment from Kapanen about playing with Kadri and he described uh Kadri as being kind of more unpredictable and a little harder to play with because he doesn't always know what he's going to do and uh I found that fascinating you wonder if it's kind of a function of Kadri sometimes has wingers who can't really keep up with him although I think Kapanen can yeah Kadri's more used to, I got to do this myself. I got to improvise. I got to make the whole play work, you know? So I, I hope they can find some chemistry because it looks like they're going to be together. But uh, it yeah. does. I mean, I, I, I'm not thrilled about Marlowe with that Matthews and Nylander line. Like Marlowe's no. just had a really <laughs> poor uh, impact on pretty much every line he's played on this season, it's, it seems. And I haven't checked the stats on that, so that could be... That could be wrong, but that's certainly how it feels. Um, if there's any two players who can drag him to, you know, competence, it, it's those two. And in theory, the skills make sense. Right. Right. It's just I haven't been impressed with how Marlon has done, and that could just me could just be me being kind of anchored to how poor he was at the start of the year. I think he probably has gotten a fair bit better. Yes. Um, the one the one thing I will say is he's still fast. Yeah. And he can still finish a bit, so it's like. Those core abilities that are kind of his calling card haven't gone away, and until they do, he's still going to be playable in the top nine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's not lighting the world on fire at this point, but he's still certainly capable of contributing, and, you know, he's here. So, <laughs> we got to hope we'll get something out of him. Yeah, and I think I'm probably being more negative than is warranted about that line, Um, but... I, I don't know. I guess I guess we'll see soon enough, right? Like we're we're yeah. gonna try it out, and hopefully, hopefully that can be another you know, fifty three, fifty four percent possession line, uh, higher in expected goals, higher in actual goals. Yeah, if we can do that, that really, that's what we're hoping for, and that really changes the game for us. You know, right now on the cusp of Nylander returning, the Leafs are kind of a middling Corsi and expected goals team, mm-hmm. and. They're outdoing it because, one, they have finishing talent, but maybe not as much as it's looked like they'd have because uh, they like the Marner line has been so hot that it's like this is going to be hard to sustain. And they also have a super deadly top power play unit. And they have a been... goalie who would probably win the Vesna if it was called yeah. today. And, like That's the, the biggest thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of those things are a little bit hard to predict, but I do think we clearly have an above-average starter. We have above-average finishers. We should have a high-end power play. So the Leafs can certainly outperform a lot of those metrics. It's just a question of, if we think we're going to be the best team in the league now, we want to be at least good in those and then outperform to the point of being the best. Yeah, like you want to get to at least like 52% 
Corsi 52% XG as opposed to like covering around 50. And I know that sounds like a very small difference, and it, it is, but that small difference matters at the you know higher ends of the league. Mm-hmm. That moves you past a lot of people. And, it does. You know, we, we've kind of just uh, hand-waved it away because the truth is the league's record is so good that it's like, well, what's there really to complain about? And this is without some of their best players who they're now getting back. But... The Leafs sometimes look like a real contender. Sometimes they look so good it blows your mind. And then sometimes it's like, we were lucky to get out of Minnesota with two points last night. We were lucky to That's get out the of there point. with one point. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, you know, mostly it was the Freddie Anderson show. So we can be more than that. Uh, and who knows, maybe after the Jake Gardner Cup, everyone just parted a little too hard. But, um, yeah, yeah. You'd like to think that as this team finally settles into its groove, we can think, okay, now we're ready to really show what what we can do. And we're finally going to get to see that team that we waited so long for, for uh, from the time we signed Tavares. Like we were talking about that July 1st and a mere five months and one week later, we'll actually see the lineup. So yeah. <laughs> So hope, hopefully it, it goes well, right? Um, yeah. is going to be under a lot of pressure to perform pretty much off the bat. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, he did, I, I mean, I'm, I'm confident he will. Um, as long as he provides that Matthews line with kind of the, the lift they need in the transition play and in, in finding people in the offensive zone, I, I'm confident that we're going to get, you know, a, re- a really good line out of it and that's going to make us even more deadly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think people forget just what Nylander and Matthews were doing when they were like, you know, 19 and 20. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. For, for two years, like that line was murdering people. Yeah. It was I, just I, I, I have this, the, the Matthews, Nylander, Hyman stat over the course of their entire career yeah. has been a 53.5% Corsi. Uh, line a 54 and a half percent expected goals line and like a 59 percent or 60 percent goals line yeah that's that's murderous that's insane like that's that's as good as any line in existence you know it it puts it in a conversation with even like the the mckinnon line in in colorado which right now they're so hot that no one can touch them but yeah like that that line is very good and they were better in 1617 than in 1718 by like a couple percentage points. Part of that is they started facing tougher competition. Yeah. Um, but they were still they were still quite good. And they're still young and growing. And with all due respect to Zach Hyman, I don't think he was comp- driving the bus there. I, I do think he was helping. I think he did a lot of the work that made, made them a better shot share group. And Hyman, you know, that's been a constant throughout his career. He's good at driving shot share. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie, really upset right now mm-hmm. but um i guess if you have to disrespect that comment like that you can but that's fine but yeah like i <laughs> yeah, no, i think <laughs> i i think they can do that right and they, they're mm-hmm. going to continue to improve and when you when you're staring down the barrel if you're an opposing team of two lines that can torch you for you know who who average 55 percent course your expected goals and that that i think should be the goal for these top two lines on the leafs mm-hmm. that is just frightening right where 60 to 70 percent of the your ice time you're facing that group or you're facing a group that can do that 
Yeah, I, I mean, we've seen what Boston can do with really one line that's super dominant. Right. And the Leafs don't even have to quite match that because it's hard to match Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak. But it's like the Leafs can have two lines that are pretty close in terms of goals dominance uh, at their very best. And if so, there's no safe place to hide. And mm-hmm. even if you somehow survive that, you know, Janssen, Kadri, Kapanen is a well above average third line. So, yeah, the ideal now is that we're going to get into a compound effect where there's no place to hide against this Leafs lineup. And mm-hmm. so I'm really excited to see that. Yeah, me too. Um, was there anything else you wanted to mention? Um, nothing all that pressing other than to just say... I think a lot of people wanted Cal Dubas to screw this up. You know, fans of other fan bases, obviously, but I think he said himself, there were a lot of people who were ready to ram. We can, and we will down his throat. Right. For for having said he could maintain the core. And I think that has colored a lot of the commentary, even on the deal that he did sign. And it's being treated in some quarters as a capitulation or an overpay or a mishandling. I think Kyle Dubas did what was right for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He handled it exactly how I would have wanted him to handle it. It doesn't sound like he burned any bridges on the personal side uh, in a way that he couldn't avoid. Like it was a tense negotiation, but he seems to have emphasized again and again that this is a player that we want to keep with us. You'll notice that for all it seemed like this was a really fraught negotiation, it ended in six years. And no matter what mm-hmm. people tell you, I don't think six years implies a trade is automatic now. Uh, if this had come down to like a one-year deal, I'd say, oh, maybe the relationship is sewered. But he kind of steered through this without either panicking or letting his ego get in the way or mismanaging that in any respect. So uh, this is kind of planting a nerdy flag here. But if this had ended in a holdout, I would have said, I think Kyle Dubas screwed this up. Given the way it did end, I think Kyle Dubas handled this really well. And he's really impressed me as a GM in his uh, first almost year on the job. So yep, I just want to set myself I think, up there. <laughs> I think he acquitted himself well for in the, in this uh, in this negotiation. And I, as we said before, I think all parties were acting in their self-interest. And I think we're, at the end of the day, being reasonable, even if the result was not fun for us. But hey, yeah. we, we got we got to the right spot in the end. We have William Nylander for six more years, and yeah. that's a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah. So on that note, times are good in Leafland again. <laughs> Until the next loss. Oh yeah, and then we're gonna freak the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um. So thank you everyone for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fuleman's stuff, uh, this podcast and our writing, and a whole host of other Leafs, uh, Marlies, Toronto Furies. Uh, writing at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and at ATFuleman. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.